All right, Paleo Hackers, welcome back with me on the other line. Sean Stevenson, author and host of the Model Health Show. Sean, thanks for coming on, my man. Hey, thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. Awesome. So when did you start your podcast again? It's been a while, right? So we just crossed our two-year anniversary um, in June. Okay. Oh, actually, I'm sorry, at the, at the uh, at May. And we, we're doing, I don't know what you guys are doing right now, but we do a one-a-week one show. So it's been a pretty big labor of love even getting those one shows done because, yeah. you know, each of my episodes are like really concentrated on whatever subject matter it is. So sure. it might take 10 hours of research to do one show. Yeah. Yeah. I don't really know what, what our posting schedule is like. Uh, the listeners are laughing right now because we're the most inconsistent podcast out there. But <laughs> that changes today. This is. Yeah. Mark my words. I love it, man. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> yeah, man. So we try and do once a week, but, you know, life gets in the way and, and the baton gets passed. And there's a lot of things that go into it. But I feel that on in terms of research, people, a lot of people don't yeah. realize how much back end there is to a podcast. Of course. Yeah, man. You know, I'm the, glad you're bringing this up because yeah. I get messages from a lot of people, a lot of uh, listeners like do more shows a week. You know, and, and I've got a lot of friends who do that. You know, one of my friends, yeah. John Lee Dumas, who does the Entrepreneur on Fire, he has a seven day a week show. And I personally think he's crazy and ser- like seriously, there's something wrong with him. He's an awesome guy, super, super smart, super sweet guy. But the amount of work that he puts into it, but he, he's created a system, yeah. you know, and he does a straight interview show for every show. We wow. do a lot of pure content on my show, too. So we have snuck in an extra episode every now and then, but. The consistency is really the key. And a lot of people, even in the health space that we're in, do at least two days a week. So, you know, it's just really about putting out that high quality content when you do put it out. It's, it's It relates to health because, um, you know, when you're putting out content and doing this thing, a lot of people want to start shows. And I've seen shows where they get really excited about it. They get the build up, they get the launch and they go for it. And then you don't see them three months later. Yeah. And what happened? What was the difference between them and the people that got on the iTunes new and noteworthy and kept going and kept that momentum up and are still crushing it? It was consistency. It was that once a week thing, setting that one goal, not burning out in the beginning, not trying to have a seven day a week show when you haven't even had a once a week show. And, you know, everyone now knows where I'm going with this uh-huh. and diet and exercise and your life and health. I think it's the exact same way. Exactly. Especially with exercise, man. You know, when people like I've been sitting on the couch for three years, I'm going to get up and I'm going to run five miles tomorrow. And then they do it and they like demolish their body like they're sore for like a week. And they've programmed this. You know, we're talking about like what's going on with the myelin in your brain, synaptic connections. They've given all this feedback to their brain that exercise equals pain. Right. And so Every cell in your body is going to be against the next mm-hmm. idea that comes up that you should exercise. You know, so like you said, it's just that let's let's start where you are, you know, and a lot of people want to go full out. Like, let's just go to the gym two times a week or three times a week for 20 minutes. Just get in the habit of doing that to lay down a stronger myelination, you know, connection in your brain and something that's more positive. Yeah, you might be a little sore, but you're not like destroying your body. Once sure. you get to a certain place, though, and you probably experience this, too. I'm constantly sore, you know, like I just did some glute ham raises on Monday and it's Friday that we're doing this. And it feels like my my hamstrings were like surgically removed and then replaced with some cyborg hamstrings that don't fit right. You know, like it it doesn't feel good, but it's 
I love it now. It's like a part of me. And this is this is called a positive ha- habit generation versus something that's kind of controversial like exercise bulimia where people are exercising constantly because of a body image issue whereas some people are exercising constantly because they're addicted to it in a in a positive life affirming way and that's definitely I'm in that lot and anybody can have that happen it's just finding exercise that you love I mean it's you know it's glamorous and it's sexy to think about sitting on the couch watching the infomercials ordering it and then the next day working out every day for the rest of your life like that's a cool like you know what I'm going to do it all I'm going to do everything out of my cupboard right now that snapping point and for some people they do that and it does work generally when they have someone helping them but for a lot of people again it's what we're talking about you know they get discouraged because they did it and then they they failed on their diet or their exercise of that unrealistic seven day a week plan and so just like you know used on health shows but the marathon you don't get up off the couch and go run a marathon start with like the jog walk down the street then you start jogging around the block then you start running miles then you start running two miles five miles ten miles whatever and then you go hit it um so it's that it's that gradual warm-up so did you see that with a lot of people either you've worked with or talked with? Like, where do they fit in? Do they want to go the seven-day-a-week route, or do you talk them more into, like, the three-day-a-week route? And how do you how do you transition them from that mindset of, like, I have to do it all now right away to yeah. getting into more of, like, a, a moderated approach that's long-term? Yeah, that's where the master coach really does their their work, you know, is working on that psychology. And I've seen the whole spectrum. You know, definitely. You know, I've been in clinical practice as a nutritionist for, you know, over a decade and then strength conditioning coach for most of that time, plus add on another five years. And the majority of people, though, it's that I want it all now. And they're jumping in. They're ready to sign up, sign on the dotted line, put me through everything. That's why they hired you. Yeah. Yeah. Beat me down, whip me into shape. Yeah. You know, you're the magic fixer. Exactly. I'm coming with all my little tools and I'm supposed to. But the reality is, you know, you have to be in it for the long game and a big motivating factor for a lot of people. And you've got to tap into that. You know, your why has to be bigger than yourself. Absolutely. So finding something that's more consistent long term is their why, because some people might be coming for they want to get in shape for their wedding or even more so somebody else's wedding that they want to show up. Right. And then maybe it's, um, you know, for a particular event that they've been wanting to do. You know, I've got a client who biked from like Texas to Missouri, you know, in the course of a few days. And he never did anything like that before. And lots of stories like that. Or maybe somebody's doing a competition, you know, so there's this temporary motivation there. We got to dig deeper and find like what I call, you know, peeling the onion. You know, you've heard that saying before, but that why that makes you cry, you know, so maybe it's like they want to be. Uh, a better example for their children. You know, maybe their kids have been, you know, really off the path of health and maybe one of their kids has like prediabetes or something and and they know that they haven't been showing up as the best example, you know, or maybe it's like they want to be around, maybe they just had their first grandkid and they want to be there at their grandkid's wedding and it's not looking too hopeful because, you know, maybe they have high blood pressure and they're on lisinopril or something like that. And, you know, so we got to dig around and find what it might be for that person. Maybe it's maybe it's purely like, well, it's even this is still deeper, but something that's more about vanity. Like they want to look good because they never have and they want to attract the mate that they've never had. You know, they've maybe had a bad string of luck with the relationships and they feel like they've been taken advantage of and they want to feel more confident. You know, so that's what it's really about, man, is finding that that inner that inner game helping people to build up their inner game so they 
really get in it for the right reason so that when they start, they don't, they, there's no finish line. They just keep going because it's a part of who they are. So what was your why then? Let's peel the onion of Sean. Where did you have that why that makes you cry? I don't like onions, man. So I'm just kidding. I'm just, I'm totally kidding. kidding. I like onions. Um, so for me, this was, it was my own kind of health crisis. And this happens for a lot of people too. They're forced to change, you know, because things get bad enough. But, you know, tragically, some people don't even change then. But uh, for me, I was 20 years old and I was going to a university at the time and I was diagnosed with degenerative spinal disease. So the disc in my back in particular were deteriorating rapidly. And my physician at the time, because what brought me in to see him is like, no matter how much I stretched and moved around, like there's this pain in my in my leg, going down the back of my leg, my hamstring and my butt. And it's just like, it wouldn't go away. It just kept radiating this pain. And so I went in to see him and he had me to go get an MRI of my spine. I'm like, but my leg hurts, man. You know, because I was so disconnected from how the body affects uh, different areas, you know, like that any stuff is connected. And so we get the scan back. He puts it up for me to see it. And I'm all like, because I, I was used to working with coaches, you know, in athletics. And I'm like, all right, let's fix me up. What do we got to do? And he's like, whoa, slow down. Uh, you see this scan? You've got the spine of an 80-year-old. And there's nothing that you can do about this. It's something you're going to have to live with. And then just paraphrasing what he was saying. And I didn't get it. Like, it didn't register to my brain. Like, I'm 20. Okay, like, let's do something. And to this day, I have no idea why I asked him this question, man. It's like a miracle. But I asked, does this have anything to do with what I'm eating? And he looked at me like I was straight up crazy. And he said, this has nothing to do with what you're eating. But then he proceeded to write me a prescription to eat some pills. You know, so this has nothing to do with what you're putting in your mouth. But go ahead and put these pills in your mouth anyways. And that sent me down a pretty dark hole because now, number one, a respected physician is telling me there's nothing I can do. This is an incurable situation. I've got two ruptured discs and all this degeneration of my spine. And also the medication, you know, like I'm just going to numb the pain instead of getting to the underlying cause. And so that's how I live my life the next two and a half years. And I should have been graduating shortly after that, but I kept dropping yeah. classes and ended up yeah. taking like three credit hours instead of 12 or 15. And because I was embarrassed, I was even embarrassed to go to school. Like I was wearing this back brace all the time. I couldn't really move right. And two and a half years later, so two and a half years of daily, this horrible like way of living, I'd gained about 50 pounds. It was a lot of video games, a lot of Madden, a lot of, um, a lot of college food, you know, definitely. So a lot of pizza. There's a Papa John special that we could get. And a lot of, you know, fast food burgers and fries. And really, man, looking back, barely a, a, a food with any type of life force or any type of nutrition crossed my lips. I'm surprised I even made it to 20, you know, because that's really how I even grew up consuming food like that. But it's two and a half years later when I, I hit this moment of decision where things were so bad. I was so depressed. I was so unhealthy and just everything in life was wrong. Relationships were messed up, everything. And it's just like I had a decision. And in that moment, I decided to get well. And most people never do that. It's kind of like wishful thinking, like, uh, I'm going to try, or I hope that this gets better. When you make a real decision about something, you cut away the possibility of anything else but that thing. 
So I made a decision I was going to get well no matter what. And for me, it was really the driving force was my son. You know, I had a a new a new son. I mean, he's about two years old at this time. You had him when he, you were getting diagnosed with this thing? Yeah. So this yeah. happened all in that time period. And like everything was screwed up. Oh, man. Stuff, yeah. You know, and talk about rocking the boat. I wanted to be able to like play catch with my son. Like I could barely even get around and I'm 22 years old. And it's just like, I want to be able to be an example for him as a man and to have him to not go through all the stuff that I went through. So that was a big catalyst for me was, was my son. And also when I started to get well, and by the way, uh, long story short. So what happened? What'd you do? So after I make this decision, and I'm a very analytical person. So for people who listen to my show, they know this. I put a plan together. It wasn't like a miracle happened and I just got it. Like I'm Forrest Gump and I'm running and like the, yeah, the, the little leg things come off. off right? yeah. It's not like that. Box it's chocolates like, and yeah. <laughs> Bubba Gump shrimp. Yeah, that's so right. What happened was I put a plan together and it incorporated a lot of things that were like Captain Obvious that I wasn't doing. Uh, physicians were telling me and they were trying to protect me, but they were like, don't do this. Don't do that. Be careful. Um, bed rest. Two and a half years. I mean, this is very simple. Your body will start to atrophy. All yeah. of your muscles will start to atrophy and the problem will only get worse. So I started to move again, you know, and your body, re- this is the law. Your body requires movement in order to heal itself. And there were certain studies that I came across. There was a study done with horses and this particular study. So they had two groups of horses. They had the control group and they had the study, the test group. And what they're trying to do is to increase the bone density of the horses. And because, you know, with a racehorse, if they break a bone, they're just probably going to put them down. So they wanted to prevent that from happening. So one group of horses were getting supplements, mainly calcium supplements. And the other group, so that's the control group, the other group of horses, they gave them calcium supplements and walked the horses. Hmm. At the end of the study, the group of horses who only were given the supplement, the increase in bone density was negligible. It was almost nothing. The group, the the study group who were given the supplements and walked had a pretty significant increase in their bone density, uh, statistical significance to the degree that, you know, they put this in study that you must move when taking these supplements or else you're not going to get the benefit. And so even though I, and so here's the components. Number one was right movement. So starting to move again, I just did what I could. Started off just walking a lot. And then I eventually could jog a little bit, eventually um, picked up the weights again and just did what I could. It wasn't like I went and did a 400 pound deadlift day one, you know, like sure. I worked my way back to being better than I was. So number one is right movement. Number two was right nutrition. And so I asked this really profound question, like, okay, so my spine is deteriorating, right? What is my spine made of? Like, what are the things it needs to regenerate? And so that took me down this whole path of like, with nutrition that's just become a real passion and love of mine. And so some of the things were like sulfur-bearing amino acids, um, vitamin C, collagen. So vitamin C was so important. And most of the time when you hear about it, you think about like for the immune system. But vitamin C is critical for regenerating tissues. And there's no place in my diet I was getting vitamin C except from like Sunny Delight, you know, and it was like the added-in vitamin C. Yeah, good old Sunny D. Right. And there's no bioavailable any of this stuff coming in my diet. So it's just like, no wonder I'm screwed up. So I started to eat more uh, living foods, mainly fruit, because I wasn't really eating vegetables. And But what did help me with the vegetables was I started juicing shortly thereafter. Uh, maybe this was like a year into it. Um, but 
what I did instead of, I, I, I stopped eating fast food. That was huge for me. And I started to shop at Whole Foods and Wild Oats. And for, I live in the Midwest. And so Whole Foods was like new here. Yeah. It was like nobody in there. It was like five people in the store when I go buy my food. And what I did was instead of buying a fast food burger, I just make my own, you know, with organic grass fed meat and like, you know, um, organic bread or whatever, you know. And so I upgraded my nutrition significantly just by upgrading the quality of my ingredients. So six weeks after this change happened, I lost 30 pounds, first of all. And the pain that I was experiencing every day for two and a half years was gone. And about, you know, so it was about nine months later when I got a scan done. The two herniated discs that I had retracted on their own. And I got some of the juiciness back into my, into my disc when he said that it was impossible. And so that's when I fired my doctor. And the rest is history. You know, people, I was in school at the time, so people saw the transformation. Uh, students started to ask me for help. My professors started to ask me for help. Hmm. Shifted my course of study to biology. And I've worked with thousands of people since. And there you have it, man. Dang, man. That's a that's an Oprah life story right there. We're going <laughs> to get the tissues out back home. No, I mean, not to make light of it. That's a that's a really remarkable thing. Um, I love those those stories, and especially yours, where, you know, you're going from hospital bed, Sunny D, and video games to um, speaking about biology, health, and, and retracted herniated discs. I mean, yeah, yeah, it's big, man. Um, so now, you know, you're sharing information, you're speaking about it, you're talking to people, you're running the model health show. What's kind of the most common thing you see amongst people who either ask you for help or, um, the com the common thing you see every day with the people you're working with? The most common thing that I see, um, as far as a health issue or more so in just, in just, um, the most frequent Thing that comes up, whether it be, you know, unhappy with their lifestyle, mm -hmm. overweight, they want to lose, they can't exercise, they can't sleep. Yeah. Uh, that's so funny, man. Nobody's ever asked this question. And I just kind of bring it up when I'm talking about it. But so at my clinic, we've, you know, we work with a lot of people over the years. Uh, and I'm so proud to say 89% reversal rate for type 2 diabetes, around 86% reversal rate for high blood pressure, hypertension. So helping people to get off metformin and lisinopril and statins and all that good stuff by helping people to reverse engineer their illnesses. And what usually brings them in is pain, you know, like stuff has gotten so bad that they're, you know, sometimes even given a death sentence or, you know, a lot of times it's a physical thing. Like they want, oftentimes a lot of this is coupled with being overweight, especially in our country where three fourths of the people in the population right now, uh, according to the research is either overweight or obese you know, and looking at that, it was so interesting because I work with all these people and some people wouldn't get the result. And I'm just like, what the, you know, like they're, they're doing the right stuff. And we don't, it's not a cookie cutter thing. I find yeah. the right thing for them. And when I did a deeper introspection, I started to ask these questions. I would find out that there was a hole in their game when it came to sleep and or stress, usually both. And so that was really the huge leverage was finding out how to help people to optimize their sleep and, and to modulate their stress in their life. And usually they were overstressed because they weren't getting sleep. And so after helping people to get their sleep together, man, like the floodgates would open with weight loss, with people getting their blood sugar together, with people uh, with lowering their blood pressure, uh, even neurological stuff, you know, depression, things like that. 
And that's really where I base my practice, like helping people. Yeah, we, we have the nutrition stuff dialed in. We can help people with that. But really focusing on what's going on with their lifestyle and their sleep, their sleep health, basically. Mm. Sleep hygiene is what people call it. And so that was actually the catalyst for writing this best-selling book on sleep, which has been a uh, number one bestseller on these one health list for over a year. What's, uh, what's so, the book? I didn't see it when I was researching. So it's called Sleep Smarter. Sleep Smarter. Let me pull it up. Sleep Smarter. Out. Yeah. And it was June, June 2nd of last year. And this, just this past, I just posted on our Facebook page. It was number one uh, up there against um, uh, the Paleo Solution and uh, Diane Phillip. San Filippo, yeah, probably. Yes. Yeah. yeah, so her book was number two, right next to oh, Sleep cool. Smarter. Twenty one um, proven tips to sleep your way to a better body, bit better health, and bigger success. Yeah, and no disrespect to Diane's fans out there. I just I'd never seen that book before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, it looked very pretty, and uh, I was just you know shocked and but kind of not shocked because it's like it's important and this has been left out of the health conversation. Or we might we might like play around in it a little bit, but to dive right in and talk about right. a, a topic that is not sexy, you know, yeah. like sleep is boring because you don't do anything, but to make it sexy, you know, yeah. make it so when you go to, when you're getting ready for bed, you're like, oh yes, I'm going to, I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to knock out this sleep, you know? And, and a lot of things too, like, um, whether it's stress affecting your sleep or your job or the time you're sleeping or the caffeine intake or your diet or your sugar. I mean, there's so many other things that go into sleep. So it's a very complex topic. Yeah. You need it. It's essential, but not all sleep's created equal. So with these 21 proven tips, I mean, what, what are some of them in there? Okay. So this community is already well-versed in some of this stuff. And, and, um, I'm, I'm happy to say it's so interesting because, in, in the research, when I initially put this book together, uh, there wasn't a lot out there, you know, as much as it's just kind of like all of a sudden. And now so many people have taken little nuggets from my book, and but they might not have even known where it came from because they heard it from this health expert or this friend. And so some of this stuff is going to be Captain Obvious for a lot of people, but I'll share some things that are maybe, uh, unless you've read the book, you definitely haven't heard of. So one of the things, uh, really simply is there was a study done at Appalachian State University. And this is like a low-hanging fruit here. And so the book is titled Sleep Smarter, Not Sleep Longer, all right? Because it's not about that. It's about getting yourself... There's five different levels of sleep, but I break it down just two, REM sleep, non-REM sleep. Uh, REM sleep, that's rapid eye movement sleep. This is when you're getting your dream on. But the main thing happening here with your brain is something called memory processing. So this is when your short-term memories get converted to long-term memories. So it's kind of important. So for you to even remember what we're talking about right now, you need to get some REM sleep. But here's the issue is that non-REM sleep, this is, the, this is also known as deep sleep. And this is the most anabolic state that a human can be in, right? It is called the anabolic state. And this, in anabolism, as you know, is like the building up of, right? And so this is when you're producing the most anabolic hormones, the most reparative enzymes, all the stuff that makes you better and rebuild you from all the good food you ate and the exercise you did. So this study, Appalachian State University, found that individuals who ex – they took exercise and broke them into three groups. Group A exercised at 7 a.m., so early in the morning. Group B exercised at 1 p.m., so in the afternoon. And group C exercised at 7 p.m. at night. At the end of the study, they found that group A who exercised in the morning spent up to 75% more time in the deep anabolic stage of sleep, right? 
just from doing movement in the morning, right? So that's a pretty low-hanging fruit that people can grasp onto. And this is probably Captain Obvious. People might have heard of this before, but are we doing it? You know, and this doesn't mean you have to hit the gym in the morning. I mean, I rarely do that, but I do movement in the morning. It might be rebounding. I might jump on this mini uh, trampoline we have. It might be uh, just going for a power walk, putting on an audio book or a podcast and just going and getting outside, which is another great benefit, too. We can talk about in a moment um, or I can do some body weight stuff or I could hit the gym. But it's just important to do movement because what it does and with your audience, I'm assuming that they're they like to geek out a little bit. Uh, like my audience does. So um, what really is driving the, the driving force? Because I'm still like, well, why does this work? It's because if you have a normal cortisol rhythm, and I put a chart in the book of what that looks like, your cortisol should be peaking in the morning. You know, So between the hours of like you know, 5.30, 8.30, and a.m. And this changes depending on the time zone, time of year, all that stuff. But generally in the morning, we'll just say around 6 o'clock. And then from there, it just starts to decline gradually through the day until it bottoms out in the evening around the time it gets dark. Now, for us, a lot of people have this flipped, okay? And this is what we call tired and wired. And so in the morning, you should have a natural high cortisol spike. So you getting up and doing movement, you're helping to, um, you're helping to encourage that spike so that your body can set its rhythm back on track, all right? So, and here's the big issue is that cortisol, cortisol is awesome. Like a lot of people are just like, cortisol's up, cortisol's bad. Cortisol helps you to, to get up and to do stuff. The problem is when it's out of balance. So cortisol and melatonin are exact opposites. Like they literally have an inverse relationship. So if your cortisol is up in the evening because you're like, the only time I can work out is 11 p.m., then your cortisol is going to be off the charts. And melatonin is going to be in the basement. And melatonin is the get good sleep hormone. Okay. It's yeah. not the sleep hormone. It's the get good sleep hormone. If you're not producing enough melatonin, you can go to sleep, but you're not getting the anabolic sleep we've been talking about. You know, so that's why it works. And, you know, we can go on. There's like so many yeah. other tips that I can give for this. So I'll just drink coffee in the morning to spike my cortisol and I'll just take melatonin in the evening to get good sleep. I got it. Mm. A la paleo hacks. Yeah, right there you there. go. Yeah. Problem solved. Right. I don't have to do anything else. That's, that's so, a sleep solution. I do actually, I talk about uh, caffeine specifically, like I dedicated a, a chapter to it because um, there was another study done and it's, it's basically to have a caffeine curfew and they took people and they gave them caffeine uh, right before, like literally right before bed, right before they go to sleep, three hours before they go to sleep and six hours before they go to sleep. Every single person in the study had measurable decline in the amount of uh, anabolic sleep they were getting, Yeah, you know, even six hours out. And this is because caffeine has a half-life of about eight hours. So if you're consuming 200 milligrams of caffeine after uh, eight hours, 100 milligrams is still active in your system. And that might be enough to, you know, because it's a nervous system stimulant to keep you up even though you think you're sleeping. So what was so fascinating about the study was that uh, when people were uh, objective, it was objectively monitored and subjectively. So when people were asked about it, they were like, yeah, I got eight hours of great sleep. But according to sleep monitor, they lost an hour of sleep that they normally would have had in the, um, in the control. So yeah, you got to be careful with the caffeine. I'm a fan of caffeine for sure, but you want to definitely get in the early part of the day. And then melatonin I talk about in the book too. Uh, there's more research coming out that taking an exogenous melatonin might not be the best idea, 
because of potential down regulation of your body's own production. Sure. Right? Yeah. I mean, it's like, so. you know, that argument too, with testosterone, um, from outside the body and, and how it can disrupt your natural production or con- conflicting research on that, but even hormone replacement therapy to a certain extent can, can do that. And so, you know, melatonin is a hormone. And so, um, it's a hormone, right? Not a neurotransmitter. It is. A, it is a hormone. Yeah. And you yeah. like you could straight just go buy it. You know. Sure. Like, yeah. It's crazy, huh? Yeah. yeah. It's pretty powerful, man. It's cheap too. It's really cheap. And some of the pills they have now are like ten milligrams, which is a ton. You yeah. know, I remember when I used to get uh, the Optimum Nutrition. And this was in college. Optimum Nutrition Melatonin, and it'd come in these little one gram tablets, and you get like a hundred of them for two bucks <laughs> or something. And, you know, it was two bucks. I threw it on the cart when I was buying protein shakes and no explode and all that crap. Um, and, I, you know, I just pop them, pop them in. But then I saw these 10 milligram ones and that that's a big dose. Mm-hmm. That's it, man. And the thing is, all this stuff is still an experiment. You know, that's something we miss out on, um, it, you know, especially external to the paleo community, because we're lo- really looking at. Uh, in the paleo community, what has been done traditionally, what has been done through history that has helped us to get to the place that we are, the good and the not so good, you know, and one of the big insights here is like all this stuff with these supplements, this is a brand new thing, you know, like we're an experiment, you know, you're a, you're a human guinea pig and this stuff is going to affect you differently than everybody else. And we just don't have enough data yet to be fooling around with a lot of these things, you know, so you want to be more kind and graceful with yourself and what it really boils down to is like creating the conditions in your body for your body to do the process on its own. And there's so much that we can do there. Of course, there are some people that are in a situation where they can use assistance. And I'm all for that. There's even, for me as a clinician and seeing all the stuff I have, I used to be very just hardcore, natural only, yeah. you know? And now it's like everything has its place. And eat, you know, like melatonin, there's the, you can do a reset with melatonin if you know how to use it the right way. Even a Twinkie. Even a Twinkie, as controversial as it might sound, has its place. Have you seen that movie Zombieland? Yeah, yeah, I've seen Zombieland. So that food is going to be around if uh, apocalypse happens sure. and it's 200 years from now and food's not growing on the planet. A Twinkie can keep you going. You know, obviously it's not smart to eat now because it will kill you slowly or, or fast. But everything has its place. And really, um, that's kind of one of the things that I want to push to the forefront is just keeping an open mind to everything. Yeah. because. Yeah. You know, we it can really put you in a in a box that it's hard to get out of. Put them in your stockpile for the zombie apocalypse, folks. Right next to the eighty gallons of water and the filter that can turn anything back to water. My grandma gave me one of those, and she she told she was you know she's pretty paranoid and doesn't like uh-huh. any photos on the internet. You know, talks about Planet X, ties up her cupboard so they don't have the earthquake come down. So anyway, for like my twentieth birthday, she gave me one of the, the really good birthday presents. She gave me one of those big Berkey water filters. It's like I don't know, three feet tall. It's got these four, like, I don't know if they're carbon fiber filters or whatever, but they're like top notch because they're a hundred dollars each. So the whole thing is like a $500 unit and it can pretty much take urine and make it water or mud and make it water or anything and turn it to water. But the stipulation she gave it to me with was don't tell anyone you have this because they'll come and kill you for it. And so, yeah she, yeah, she goes, she goes pretty hard. She commits. Is your grandma? Yeah, she commits, man. She is awesome. Yeah, she's, she's hilarious. Um, so here I am now telling my whole audience that I have one of those big Berkeys. So if the zombie apocalypse comes. Yep, we're all coming for you, man. That's right. Up here in Seattle. <laughs> well, cool, dude. So, okay, let's get back to sleep then. Um, 
what about sleep being equal at all hours in the day? I know there's something with circadian rhythms. Break it down for us. When should we be going to bed and when mm-hmm. should we be going or waking up? Yeah. So the um, according to the research, there's a certain time frame when the human body is producing the highest amount of anabolic hormones if you're asleep. And this is what we call money time. We call this money time sleep. And generally, this is going to be between the hours of 10 p.m. and 2 a.m. And what this looks like is around, so when the sun goes down, and this is going to change, again, depending on the time of year, depending on the time zone you're in. Um, so what, what's happening is right around 9 p.m., we'll just give that a general thing, around 9 p.m., your body starts to shift gears, and there's an enzymat- enzymatic activity increase. And these this enzymatic activity increases for the sole purpose of healing your body when you're asleep. Okay, it's for the sole purpose of healing your body when you're asleep. But for some people, if they're, you know, you're like you're driving home and the sun's going down, it's like, you know, six o'clock and you're like, I'm going to go to bed early tonight. I'm tired. But then nine o'clock rolls around and you're like on YouTube, you're watching like, I don't know, like uh, fail videos or vine videos. <clears throat> or whatever. Funny cat you're videos, watching. yeah. Those cats, you Those know, cats whatever. Those cats you, man, yeah. And you find like, well, I'm just wide awake. I'm just going to keep watching stuff until I get tired. And that enzymatic activity has now been used to give you what's called as an, an, an energy second wind, just like in running, like you get that second wind. And this happens to people like all the time, some people every day, and they get alive, they come alive in the nighttime and their body's giving them signals to go to sleep. But if you push past that, you'll get this second wind. And you'll kind of just be up right past that real money time when you get the most bang for your buck with anabolic hormone production. So anabolic hormone, so let's just talk a little bit about that. So like human growth hormone, for example, HGH. This hormone is often referred to as the youth hormone because kids have a lot of it. And this is also why they have a lot of energy. And they heal fast, like they're little wolverines, right? Scars, like they don't even have any. Like little, like I've got a three-year-old. He's like done some messed up stuff, like- all kinds of cuts and scrapes on his pretty little face and they're just not there anymore, you know? So you got, he's got all this HGH production and it peaks when you're, um, you know, around 18 years old, 18, 20 years old. And the thing is when we're around this age, this is also when we stop living at home and we start doing whatever the hell we want to, right? It's not just, I got older, so I stopped producing human growth hormone as much, but I got older and I stopped sleeping because the, the greatest time, you can do all the squats you want. There's even a food that I can talk about that can trigger your body to produce more HGH, but nothing compares to getting deep anabolic non-REM sleep as far as human growth hormone production. And you get the most of that in that money time window. I think a lot of us are just going on hours, just like a lot of us just go on weight in the gym, just like a lot of us just go on calories. You know, we like these, we like to quantify things by numbers. You know, how much money do you have in your bank? How old are you? You know, what year was that happening? And mm-hmm. I think we do the same thing with health and lifestyle. And so, you know, how many calories do you eat to lose weight? How many calories do you eat to gain muscle? How, many, how much weight do you lift to mm-hmm. build it? And how many hours of sleep do I need? Sean, just give me the number of hours and I'll get them in when I feel like it. doesn't matter if it's in 4 p.m. to, you know, 10 p.m. and I get six hours. Great. whoop de doo um, or, you know, 10 a.m. to whatever. You get the point. But I, what I'm hearing now is that tapping into the circadian rhythm is almost like this supercharge 
that uh, <clears throat> your body sinks into or taps in and tunes tunes with. Yeah. And and you use that supercharge to get some really badass sleep and recover fully. And if you don't do that, you're doing yourself a big disfavor. This is speaking to the fact that we are a part of nature. You know, even though we can forget about that sometimes because we can, you know, put on some fancy clothes and put ourselves into a, a box, you know, like physical box that we live in, that we're not a part of nature. All of our hormones are synced up with the planet revolving around the sun. Like this is some serious stuff. Everybody, you know, like women really get that a lot easier. But guys, we have hormone cycles, too, you know, and women know that we do, but we don't seem to understand that. And when you're getting more, getting yourself more in line with what nature is doing, you're just going to be winning. And the crazy thing is, especially in this community, when we're looking at ancestral health, when we're looking at um, ancestral biology, for example, and we start to see, you know, 40,000 years ago, up until really 150 years ago, when it gets dark outside, you, you seek shelter because like you can get killed, like you're more likely to get snatched up. You're more likely, especially in times when things were a little bit more wild out there, you're more likely to get eaten. We're not nocturnal, you know, like I'm a night owl. No, you're literally not an owl. You're literally not an owl, you know, and if we go out there, if you're in the jungle, quote, night owl, and that lion can see you, but you can't see it, you know, and again, this is time when we seek shelter, of course, might have a fire going that that whole thing is spectrum of light that is emanating is totally different than the light we're exposed to now and it's going to do different things your skin even has photoreceptors that pick up light it's going to tell your brain to produce more cortisol so this is a time when we would naturally through evolution seek refuge seek shelter and we are daytime creatures is when we get up in the morning that's why we get that good cortisol spike in the morning to go and take care of our stuff so we can enjoy our day grow live life be fruitful and then seek shelter so that we can stay alive and do the next thing tomorrow. I used to know a girl who was a nurse, fresh out of college, and part of paying your dues as a nurse, I guess, is yeah. working the night shifts. Yep, yep. And she said, oh, Clark, it's great, because I can work the night shifts, and they give me an extra $2 an hour. Mm. I'm like, $2 an hour extra for you know sacrificing not only your social life, but a lot of health. And, and the correlations, I'm sure you've seen it, between injury rates and, and night shift workers are massive in terms yep. of – and depression and night shift workers are massive. And you know suicide rates and night shift workers – I mean you start peeling the onion back and mm-hmm. you start realizing all this stuff linked to night shifts and um, uh, something there. Dude. The World, Horth, the World Health Organization came out and said that shift work is a class three carcinogen. And people can just, you can go to Dr. Google and look that up. So doing shift work, so working overnight is a cancer-causing agent. What? That's crazy. How, and then again, again, being a scientist, how does it happen? It's because you're depressing your melatonin. And melatonin could quite possibly be the most powerful endogenous hormone we produce that's anti-cancer, Right. Super powerful stuff. And I've had the opportunity working at a university. I've worked with so many nurses. It's crazy. And also physicians. You know, uh, I've worked with many doctors over the years who, you know, they might be great in their practice, but they're struggling with their own health. And it's because of what they go through. You know, like it's this, like you said, it's like a rite of passage when you get into the game. And I'll survey them, especially the last few years. I will always ask this question. I'm like, okay, so, you know, you got all this stuff going on at your, at your hospital. So 
out of all the nurses that you see, like on your floor in the whole hospital, out of 10, just like what number out of 10 of them are healthy, like are, are fit? Like you can outwardly see like they look, they look healthy. And they'll usually say between one and zero. A lot of times they'll say zero. You know, I've heard two is the most that I've heard, right? And it's because like this culture has been created. The people who we have to entrust with our health are not healthy because of the way that the system is set up. These are some of the smartest, hardworking, great people that want to do great things and be a service. And we're damaging them because our health system itself is really just super backwards in the way that everything is structured. So, Sean, if you could design a perfect day from sleep to wake, time they get up, time they go to bed, time they exercise, without the ex- what kind of exercise or without nutrition, take those two things out of it, but just they have to wake up, they have to go to bed, and they have to exercise, where would those three things fit into an ideal day? All right. Wake up, exercise, go to bed. Is that it? Yeah. Okay. So, ideally... You know, and again, everybody's different. I don't like you put me on the spot on this one, but uh, if I gotta say a number, it would be you know getting up um, at this time of year where we're like spring summerish, uh, getting up six o'clock, six o'clock a.m., five thirty, six o'clock because the sun is coming up. Five thirty, it's getting earlier. Yeah, oh, no, so he's gonna say four next. Five thirty, six o'clock. No, it's still dark outside then, but when the sun starts to come up. You know, this would be if we're in sync with nature, this would be when we would be waking up as well. And so then I would get up, super hydrate yourself. A lot of dehydration happens while you're sleeping. Your body's doing so many of the metabolic process we've been touching on. So you help to kind of flush out your lymphatic system and and your gastrointestinal tract and just kind of help your body along to remove a lot of the metabolic waste. Um, then you should probably do a little bit of meditation or I like to call it brain training because meditation can get a weird thing, like drink the Kool-Aid kind of thing with it. And I put a study into the book showing the meditation in the morning, Harvard studies, you know, like the smart guys meditating in the morning can help you sleep better at night. Really? I mean, again, like it's just stacking conditions in your favor. So that's going to help you later down the line. Uh, then you do your some exercise. This would be ideal time to do some exercise. Um, if you do, if you're somebody who, um, is just want to get these benefits, this is when you would train. But if you're somebody like myself, I just did an experiment recently where I'm doing like the heavier lifting. You're, clin- you're, you're uh, clinically proven to be stronger in the afternoon. So I would do some kind of, you know, simple stuff in the morning and then you would do the heavier training in the afternoon. But if you just want to get these benefits, train in the morning. So maybe this would be like around 7 o'clock, 7.30. Then you go into your work day, you know, your nutrition, all that good stuff and start winding down around... Uh, 8 o'clock, 8.30, so that you can hit the sack by 10 o'clock. And you should be pretty tired at this point if you've allowed your body to do all the things that it does during the day, you know, getting adequate sunlight and all these other things. Um, so that's how I would lay things out. And if you were to exercise in the afternoon, I would say it ideally would be between 4 and 6.30 at the latest because of that cortisol impact we talked about. If you start getting a little bit later than that, you you might in, end up getting a little bit of sleep problems. Awesome, Sean. Great stuff, man. Great, fascinating research on sleep. Thanks for sharing it with us. So uh, if they want to find out more about this, they can check out your book, which is 21. I have it here on Amazon. What is that? Sleep Smarter, 21 Proven Tips to Sleep Your Way to a Better Body, Better Health, and Bigger Success. Awesome. Yeah, That's, that's the best check. place to pick it up, Amazon? Yep, Amazon.com, or they can go to sleepsmarterbook.com for more information on it. Cool. 
and uh, good reviews, man. It looks like you got a lot of five stars. The stupid. Uh, you got two percent one star, man. I don't know what's going on there. It's probably one <laughs> one person who wasn't there's always going to gonna be. There's always going to be somebody, you know. And even if the book is phenomenal, like the yeah. best books ever written, you go and look at. You know, some people that's just what they do. They but love it. Also, yeah, they love the one star. Amazon is a business too, so there are other people who are. Um, you know, they hire people to actually go and give them reviews yeah. and also give negative reviews. It's like a really dirty game out there. Really? Oh, yeah. It's still like this is still the the early frontier with all this stuff. But, yeah. you know, the bottom line, if you create a great product and you care, you know, and you actually do um, care about people and you're working to improve people's lives, your stuff is going to is going to rise to the top at some point. Sometimes it's totally unrelated. It's like the book came damaged, one star. And and you're just thinking like <laughs> send our customers. That, one, of the, one of the like low reviews, because you know, maybe there's a hundred and twenty five star views, one of the low ones that might, might might be five, I don't know. One of was like, uh, you can find all this stuff on the internet. Yeah, that's the point. You know, like you can. Or you could just get this book yeah. and it'll it'll like save you six months or yeah, researching sure. every day from nine to five you know yeah. it's yeah, so and, that, and that's the whole point of products right it's like you take information and you save people time and you do their work for them of compiling it together you can find any you can find how to build a house online but you can't find the 40 years of craftsmanship it takes to really work with the stuff right and uh yeah well cool sean i mean great show thanks for coming on man um they'll be sure to check out your podcast the model health show and we'll uh we'll get you back some other time awesome man thanks so much for having me on i appreciate it